Can we give a hand clap of praise to God? So powerful just getting to be together like this. You can have a seat right where you are. I want to invite you to go ahead and look at the person that you're seated next to and say, I'm so glad I ended up next to you at the church service I never thought I was going to be attending online. Uh, This is the most unlikely way for us to be gathering, but we wanted to create an experience where you could feel like you were attending church. Even if you're behind a screen, we want you to feel like you're in the room. And so these moments of worship are so powerful, and our hope and our prayer is that this is as close as we can come to somehow coming together. And we're grateful for technology. We're grateful for the ability to even be able to do this today. Uh, My hope and my prayer over the next few minutes is that God would move like never before in the life of our church. And before we jump into the word of God, I do have a couple of announcements. One of those is that this method of gathering, uh, unfortunately, looks like it is going to be our method of gathering for the near future. I don't know when this is going to end, but our hope is that at 10 a.m. every Sunday, there would be a group of people, not just across the country, but across the world who are gathered in Jesus' name. Now, that's 10 a.m. Central Time, and so we'll be gathered like this. And what's crazy is we'll probably be gathered like this for Easter this year. But we're just believing that God has something new and something so significant for this season. So we want to invite you to lean in with us during this time. Now, many of you have asked about how you can serve and what do we do for our community when the number one recommendation coming is that we stay at home and that we socially distance or for introverts, you get to live your best life. But for others of us, I know even for introverts that I've talked to, people are like, it's kind of driving me crazy. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to get out. And what a lot of people want to do is serve, especially in the Auburn community. What we want you to do is go to our website and take the time to click through all the different ministries you can serve with. There are opportunities where you can literally drive somewhere, grab a meal, take it somewhere and drop it off from the window of your car. There are opportunities and spaces to give and there's ways that you can engage while continuing to honor what our leaders have asked of us in social distancing. And I do want to say a word about that. I know we have a lot of young people in our church and the tendency of youth is to believe that stuff like this can't affect us individually. I say us, I'm 31 now, I'm kind of getting into the other group, but I'm kind of talking to those of you who are college students. I just want to urge you from leaders in our community to take this time seriously, take every precaution necessary to making sure not only we're honoring them, but we're honoring those among us who are the most vulnerable. There's ways to serve, and then many of you have asked about community groups. Now, I'm excited about this because there are apps and resources that allow for community groups to actually meet during this time. And many of you have been on Zoom or Google Hangouts and things like that. We're going to have an organized way through our website of plugging people into new community groups, but also making sure the community groups that already existed are getting together. And specifically to college students, it is so unfortunate the way this school year out of nowhere just kind of spread everybody out all over this place. I want to say this is a time that you need to be connected to people in church more than ever before. Take the time. Make sure you're connected to your community group. You can do all of that through our website. 
Uh, I want to go into our bringing time now, and this is just so crazy to me that in a season that you would expect people to be running away from generosity or to be totally forgetting about the local church, I just want to say as your pastor, I am blown away by the generosity of our people. We are, we are already ahead of in giving March of last year. Which is crazy to me because we're in the middle of one of the most uncertain months of all time. And yet so many of you are being faithful to give to your local church because you believe in what God is doing here. I want to challenge you to continue to do that. There's many different ways to do that. You can do that on Venmo. Uh, you can actually mail your check in right here to 323 Airport Road, Auburn, Alabama, 36830 or to P.O. Box 105, Auburn, 36831. But I want to just remind you why we give. We're not just giving to church because times are uncertain. We're giving because of very real stories. And we got a story through social media this week that I wanted to share with all of you from one of our college students. This is so cool. And if you have a story of how God has changed your life, please DM, that means direct message for those of you who don't know that, uh, please DM at Auburn Community Church on Instagram or just contact us through the website. But here's a story that I heard this week from a college student. She said, ACC was my first church. I had never been. Growing up, I didn't know that there were people out there that truly cared about one another. I didn't even know life was supposed to be happy. I know that probably sounds weird. But finding this community was one of the biggest blessings in my life. I learned you could trust people, how to love and be loved, and how to see beauty in life. But most importantly, I learned how to deal with the shame that ate me alive. So thank you for founding this community on love, for teaching about my true heavenly father, and for being a church that cares for people no matter where they come from. I fall on my knees every single night to pray for the ACC family. I hope you know you are changing so many lives every day. I'm just one example. Amazing. Praise God that he is moving in and through our church, and that's why we give generously. That's why we do things like bringing time and why we invite people into moments like that because we get to be a part of what God is doing in the world. This is a special moment. We're about to open the word of God together. And I just want to be honest with you. I never thought that I'd be standing in front of a camera with a live studio audience and with thousands of you listening from out there. So here's what I want to invite you to do from wherever you're receiving this from. I want to invite you to pray again. And I want you to ask the spirit of God to illuminate the word of God in a way that you have never seen it before to fill my mouth with words that come from heaven because they're needed in this moment. Would you bow your heads? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are gathered in groups all over because we believe that your church is a body, not a building. And God, we've come to know over time what it means for our church to go beyond our walls. But right now, God, we need to be more than groups of people who are gathered around screens all over. We need your hope and your love to transcend time and space. And the only way we can have that is by your spirit. So in Jesus' name, would you illuminate your word? Would you open our eyes to things that we've never understood before? Would you give us spiritual eyes to see you for who you are? God, we love you. We need you like never before in this moment. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Amen. 
We're actually going to jump back into our Colossians series that we started three weeks ago on Sunday, March 1st. And if on that Sunday you would have shown any one of us this moment from a studio where we're going to be broadcasting church for week two of Colossians, I don't think any of us would have believed our eyes. But I actually believe that God had it specifically planned for us to be in Colossians right now because of the context for which it was written. And our team has known for months that we were going to be preaching through Colossians right now, but we've been a little bit blown away by how the timing of all of this fallout from the coronavirus has gone hand in hand with our series in Colossians. One of the most unfortunate things about that is that our team has been waiting a long, long time to unveil a resource that we have been preparing over the course of the last few months. And that is the very very first Auburn Community Church published book on a guide to Colossians, which is exciting, but it's also disappointing because our hope was that on this Sunday, March 22nd, there was going to be 3,000 of these sitting under your chair. We were ready to give these away to every single one of you. And now we have 3,000 of them sitting in boxes in our office that need to go out to you. So here's what we want to do. If you want to read the online version, we're going to have PDFs up on the website. But there is something so cool about flipping through the pages that our creative team has taken so much time to make sure, communicate the word of God to you, but also in an artistic way, draw you into the presence of God. We don't want you to miss out on this. And so if you will just cover the costs of shipping, we will send this to you. You can do that online. Go online right now. Not right now, actually. Tune into this sermon. And then after, you're going to go to auburncommunitychurch.com and we will send this to you. We want to get those out to as many people as we possibly can as we walk through the book of Colossians. Now we're going to do something that we always do. Here we go, church. If you have your Bible, hold it up. Hold it up all over the room that you're in. Hold it up by yourself. Hold it up all over the world, church. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. Colossians is in the New Testament of your Bible. It's a short redder. Redder? Letter. This will tell you how real we're going to be even in a studio. It's a short letter written by the Apostle Paul to a church that he actually did not plant and he actually had never visited. And that's important because I want to read to you from Colossians chapter 2, verse 5. This isn't where we're going to be living for the duration of this sermon. But when I saw this verse, I couldn't believe my eyes at what I was reading and how much it connects to our situation as a church right now. Look at Colossians chapter 2, verse 5. Here's what Paul had to say to the church at Colossae. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit. And delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Read that again. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. If you don't know this, Paul was actually in a prison cell in Rome writing this letter and he says, listen, I would love to be able to visit you. I know I've never actually been around you guys physically, but I want you to know that even though I'm not there physically, I'm actually there with you spiritually. 
And I want to say to our Auburn Community Church family, no, we can't all be together physically right now, but the great thing about the Spirit of God is that the Spirit of God transcends time and space, and we can sense faith rising from all over the world right now. We can sense God doing a new thing, and I just want to tell you, as your pastor, I am delighted to see how disciplined so many of you are in your faith, because what's happening over the course of the last couple of weeks is that faith in Jesus is becoming something that you don't just talk about, it's becoming something that you actually have to stand on and live. We're watching people who are truly standing on a faith that maybe they've claimed by word their entire life, but now the testing of these situations around us has caused us to go, do I really trust in Jesus? And the good news that I've seen from our people is that Jesus is really winning over hearts and minds. You are responding in faith, not reacting in fear, and I am humbled and honored to be a part of this faith family. That's us right now. But I want to rewind it back to where we left off at the beginning of this series. So go back to verse 24. If you're in Colossians chapter 1, I want to read to you verses 24 through 29. And this is crazy because this is actually one long run-on sentence in ancient Greek. And when I read what I'm about to read, you're going to go, wow, that was one sentence. Yes, run-on sentences are biblical. And I had to remind my wife that a couple weeks ago because I got the opportunity to write for this blog. And I don't do a lot of writing. It actually makes me really nervous. I'd rather prefer just talking and saying what I think. And writing just makes me overthink everything. And so I kind of wanted her to read it and get her thoughts because my wife has a blog. Shout out to Pastor Wife Life. And uh, she has a blog and she does some writing herself. And so I asked her, I was like, did you, did you read that blog I wrote for those, for those people? And she's like, yeah, I read it. And that's usually like whenever I ask her, like, how was the sermon? She's like, uh. And I'm like, oh, I got something to worry about. And usually she's quick to tell me that sermon was great. She's like, yeah, I, I read your blog. And I was like, what is the deal? Are you not going to compliment my insecurities? And she is like, she was like uh, your sentences are really long. And, and I just smiled and said, it's just like Paul, uh, because he is all about the run on sentence. Watch Colossians chapter one, verse 24. This is following a long section of scripture that we talked about in part one about the supremacy of Jesus. The main theme of Colossians is the supremacy of Jesus above all things, that all things were created by him and for him. The purpose of our planet, the purpose of our church, and the purpose of every breath that we take is to exalt and lift up the name of Jesus. Now let's look at verse 24. If you're there, say I'm there. Paul says, one sentence, here we go. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. That is one sentence. From Paul. 
And the implications of those verses are so massive. And so I just want to back up all the way back in verse 24 because there's something that's kind of controversial that Paul says to start it. He says, I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's affliction. See, when you read that in passing, many of us can read that and think to ourselves, oh, wow, Paul thinks that his suffering for Jesus adds to the sacrificial death of Jesus. It seems like he's saying, okay, I delight in my suffering because what it is doing is it is adding and finishing the work of Jesus on the cross. That's false, and that would be heresy, and it's impossible for heresy to actually be included in the Scripture. So what does it mean? Well, it doesn't mean Paul's going to finish the work of Jesus. What it does mean is Paul is saying, as I suffer in my body for the message of Jesus, I'm actually extending the intention of Jesus' suffering. That what Jesus intended from his suffering was to bring all people into a relationship with God through his blood. And Paul goes, as I suffer to get this message out, I'm actually joining him in his suffering and extending the intention that he set out to do. But do not get this mistaken. There is nothing incomplete about the cross. There is nothing that Jesus didn't finish by shedding his blood. And you need to know today that the finished work of the cross has sealed your fate before God forever as a Christian. I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. But wait, I want you to look at the beginning of that verse. Now, I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. That's weird. And every time I read that in the New Testament, it makes me a little bit more uncomfortable because sometimes it all just feels like a spiritual show when people say, I actually enjoy suffering. No human being naturally enjoys any type of suffering. It's totally contrary to our human nature. We repel away from what makes us uncomfortable. We repel away from what makes us feel even the slightest level of pain. So is Paul out of his mind when he says over and over and over again throughout the New Testament, and he's not the only one who says it, I actually enjoy suffering. I look forward to this. What's the deal with this? Well, here's the thing. You and I do not enjoy suffering unless we believe the benefits and the reward for the discipline outweigh the pain of the discomfort in the here and now. The only way you ever enjoy any type of suffering is when you have a level of vision that sees above the current discomfort and says, I'd rather, you say, I'd rather have the reward for the discipline in this moment right now, and that'll get me beyond what I'm feeling in this moment. I'm talking to some of you who in the middle of your workout, if you're anything like me, you want to quit. And you get, your, you get breathing heavy and you're like, okay, is this over yet? And the more I start to work out with people who I know, like friends, I'm like, there are a lot of people who legitimately enjoy destroying their body through a workout. I'm looking at you, Orange Theory people, who are literally freaking out that you can't have your gym right now. And I get that, that you guys are a part of all that together. But I've done a couple of these workouts and I've been like, there are certain people that you work out with and you're like, you're actually enjoying this. I'm not one of them. The only way I can survive that level of discomfort is to set in my mind, you know what, when this is over, this is going to be worth it. If I can somehow face this moment right now, I believe that what is beyond this current suffering is actually worth the pain that I am feeling right now. And Paul says, I rejoice in my suffering. So here's the question. Everybody look up here. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. What is it? that Paul sees that makes him believe that his current suffering is actually something to enjoy, not just endure. If you read 
the word of God is very clear that what makes Paul rejoice in his sufferings is knowing that his suffering is producing an advancement of the gospel. I enjoy suffering because here's what I know. The message of Jesus is actually exponentially multiplied the more that I suffer for the glory of God. That the message is going out, the gospel is going out, and the more that that happens, the more I rejoice on the inside. Church, you need to understand that there has never been a moment in the history of the church where the gospel has advanced massively that has been disconnected from suffering. In fact, if you want to know how the message of Jesus went from a chosen few of about 10 to 20 people to millions and billions of people throughout history, you need to know that the one word answer to that question is suffering. The only way the gospel spreads is through a willingness to suffer and a willingness to, in that suffering, proclaim the hope that is available in Jesus. And that's where I just want to step into this moment right now and go, we need to be paying so much attention to what God is doing in our day and what God is doing through the coronavirus. I'm not saying God caused the coronavirus. Do not hear that for a second. I'm just saying every ounce of human suffering is a massive opportunity for the gospel to break through if we allow it to. And what has happened in our world over the course of the last few weeks has been the ultimate reminder That humanity is humbled on its face before its creator. I feel like in 2020, there's a temptation to believe with all of our technology and all of our money and all of our development that we were called a post-Christian culture. And part of that was an arrogance based on intelligence that said we've actually outsmarted a need for God. A few particles came together in a certain way entered into a human body, snap your fingers and you have an entire world on its knees before God. God is in total control. But the other side of that statement is the uncomfortable confession that we have absolutely no control. Tens of thousands of people dying, millions infected, billions impacted economically. And this happened over the course of a couple of months from something that is invisible. I believe that humanity has never been more humbled than in this moment, but I would also extend that and say, I don't think humanity has ever been more humiliated than in this moment. That we are literally desperate before God going, we thought we had advanced beyond a need for you. And I believe the church is in that same position because we can't even gather in our buildings right now. We're all splitting up and we're reminded that this is not our story to write. This is not our control to somehow maneuver and figure out. This is our place to go. We were put here for a purpose, and God, you are doing something. And so what I want to invite you into is I actually want us to rejoice in the opportunity that we have to suffer through this virus. I sound like I'm out of my mind. I totally realize that. But he was imprisoned in Rome when he wrote this to the church at Colossae. And he's going, I love this because the gospel is advancing. Church, do you understand that people are looking to Jesus like never before? If this virus has the capacity to cause what it has caused, I believe this has also caused humanity to wonder, well, what else could possibly go wrong? And what else is out there that could give me hope 
other than a resurrected Savior. We have an opportunity. The gospel is going out. Now, here's the great thing. Paul gave one of the greatest summaries of the gospel that's written in the entire Bible in the verses right before verse 24. If you got your Bible out, go back to verse 21. Go back to verse 21. Watch this. After all of that language in chapter 1 about the supremacy of Jesus, Paul brings us into the conversation in verse 21. He says this. Once... You were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. What is the gospel message that must go out through our suffering? The message that must go out in this time is this. Jesus died to save sinners. Jesus died, rose again to give eternal hope to you and to me, and it's available. If you're still breathing, it's available to you in this moment. Wait, wait, what did he do? He offered his life because you and I were alienated from God. That word alienated literally means estranged. It's like a family relationship that has been broken that should be put back together, but there's no way to put it back together. You are alienated. Why? Not just because you did some bad things, but because sin lived on the inside of you. Why does the coronavirus exist? Why does death exist? Why does divorce exist? Why does cancer exist? Why do our bodies expire and stop breathing? One answer, sin. We're born into a broken world, and it's not because sometimes we make some bad decisions. No, watch what, watch what Paul says. He says, your evil behavior is a result of the fact that your mind is hostile to God. You and I are born into bodies that are naturally against God. And God's response to our hostility and rejection of him was to send his own son to stand in the gap on our behalf. This is crazy. And he dies for us. Rises again so that what? So that you could be presented before God without stain or blemish or wrinkle, holy in his sight. Because of the blood of Jesus, sinful humanity, by grace through faith, is seen the way Jesus is seen in the eyes of his heavenly father. Perfect, complete, clean, pure, blameless. And Paul goes, this is the message that has to go out, but he doesn't stop there. In the verses that follow, he unveils what he calls the mystery that has been hidden for ages. So the gospel doesn't end with Jesus dying and rising again to save sinners. There's more. Look at the more. Look at verse 25. I have become its servant, talking about the gospel, by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Wow. And my assumption is that if we were gathered at 323 Airport Road on Sunday, March the 22nd, with our three gatherings at 9 a.m., 11 a.m., and 7 p.m., and I read that verse, Christ in you, the hope of glory, it would probably get as many amens as we got in this little studio right now. Because we read something like that, and it's sort of like, 
Christian language that maybe we've heard for a long time, but we don't really know the weight and the implications of what is being said right now. See, I would say Christians are notorious for only celebrating two-thirds of the gospel. And it's going to come up in a couple of weeks. You know what we're going to do? We're going to celebrate the crucifixion of Jesus. We're going to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And then we're going to completely ignore 40 days later an event called Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit goes out to unite us to the life of Christ. Now, we, love, we love talking about him dying for our sins, and we love talking about Easter Sunday. We already sang about that in that song, Living Hope. But I felt this like never before recently because I'm actually reading through a children's Bible with my oldest daughter, Aniston, right now. And it is so disappointing for me to actually read through some of the stories in the Bible that get me the most excited and watch her be totally apathetic. Like we read about Abraham last night. She was bored out of her mind. Like, Aniston, this is a father of Israel. Like, God made a promise to him. And listen, Abraham gets more than one story in the children's Bible. So, like, I gave her a preview of tonight, what's coming. And what's coming tonight is going to be really tough to explain because that's when God told him to sacrifice Isaac. And so I was like, it's Abraham again tomorrow. And she was like, oh, can we move on to something else? My daughter's three. She can't stand Abraham. Now, we had a phase where her favorite character in the Bible was Pharaoh. And that was just because of his clothes. And I tried to tell her, like, no, this is a guy who violently oppressed the people of God. Like, he did massive wrongs. Like, he looks amazing. I, I love Pharaoh. Pharaoh was her favorite. But then we distracted her from Pharaoh for a little while uh, with Joseph. When we did our Dreamer series, because she loves his coat of many colors. Doesn't understand why he can't keep the coat. Really mad at his brothers. But loves the coat of many colors. Well, as we're walking through the Bible, like, the, the most random stories would get her so excited. But I think God used this to speak to me. We got to the life of Jesus. And every night, you know, they spend a lot of time on the life of Jesus, rightfully so, son of God. Um, and, she's, and she's kind of uh, just, <laughs> just getting tired of these stories. And I'm like, I got to get to the part that's, that's really good. So we get to the crucifixion. And, of course, uh, she was sad and she's, you know, wondering, like, why did he have to die and all that? Doesn't even understand the concept. And then, and then we get to the resurrection. Her reaction to the resurrection was the biggest letdown in the history of my three years of fatherhood. It was like, oh, wait, the stone, uh, there's another angel, but the, the angel was cooler in the Christmas story. It's literally thoughts of a three-year-old. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I just read her the resurrection story. She wasn't that into it, and we've already done it three times, so we'll get back around to it in a couple of weeks. And, and I give her the preview of the next story, and I really think God did this to get my attention. She's like, what's tomorrow night? And I was like, I don't know, and I looked, and I took a look at it, and it was the disciples in a room huddled up. And it said Pentecost at the top. And when her eyes saw that page, you can ask my wife, not exaggerating a little bit. She goes, oh, Daddy, oh my gosh, Holy Spirit, it's the Holy Spirit. And I was like, Aniston, what is wrong with you? How do you even know about this? And so then we're driving the next day. We're driving, and I'm going to work. And, and for some reason, my daughter thinks I preach every day. She thinks this is all I do all the time. And so she's like, what are you preaching about today? What are you preaching about today? After that night, it wasn't asking me. It was telling me. Daddy, talk about the Holy Spirit. Daddy, tell them about the Holy Spirit. Tell them about the Holy Spirit. Tell them about the Holy Spirit. And I told Courtney, I was like, why is our daughter so obsessed with this? And it was getting my attention that I think what God was revealing to me is the fact that Christ has offered to live his life on the inside of us by the power of the Holy Spirit is of equal importance to the Christian life as the crucifixion and the resurrection. Because the Holy Spirit is the one who seals us for heaven 
forever. And Paul said, he said, listen, this is a mystery that was kept hidden for ages, for generations, meaning people who lived in the Old Testament, sometimes we read these stories from the Old Testament, and we're like, I would have loved to live in that day. You do realize that if they saw the fact that we have the Holy Spirit available to us today, they would trade places with us in a second. They would go, you, you get Christ to live in you, to empower you. And I think the reason why we don't celebrate this, and maybe we will this year, Pentecost, I looked it up. It's on Sunday, May 31st. Who's down for a party if we're, if we're gathering again at 323 Airport Road and we'll just, we'll, we'll just celebrate Pentecost like we would celebrate Easter? I think it would be amazing. Here's the reason why we don't celebrate it. Number one, we don't celebrate it because we don't understand it. And number two, we don't celebrate it because it feels too mystical and weird. So we don't understand it because a lot of us grew up in the Bible Belt and we heard that becoming a Christian means inviting Jesus to come on, live on the inside of your heart. And if you're like me, a literal thinker, you're sitting there in Sunday school and going, how in the world is a 33-year-old Jewish man going to come live his life? On the, I just don't, I don't get it. I was like, and I pretended to like be into it. Yeah, Jesus, come live on the inside of me. This is weird. But then we also went to a church where we talked about how the church was God's house. And so I was like, where does he live? And so it's like, uh, he's going to come live on the inside of me. How in the world does this work? And then and you look more into it. And it's like, no, 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 no. It's, it's his Holy Spirit that comes and lives on the inside of you. And then it becomes too weird and mystical for a lot of us because when Jesus sent the Spirit out at Pentecost, people did things like speak in tongues and exercise spiritual gifts. And then what happened following that is this really bad theology spread where people were told, you have to demonstrate physically what you have experienced spiritually. It's a lie. It's not true. It's not biblical. By grace through faith, you receive the Spirit of God upon believing. There's one baptism. And that baptism is a baptism of the Holy Spirit where Jesus comes and lives on the inside of you. But it does not have to be confirmed by a physical sign. It is confirmed by a spiritual seal. All God needs is faith. And if you believe, you might feel nothing physically. If you believe and you go, oh, I believe Jesus died to save me from my sins. I believe he rose again. And you invite Jesus to come and live on the inside of you. Here's what happens. It's not about conformity to a man who lived 2,000 years ago. It's about Jesus coming and indwelling your life to where you become the one version of yourself that you were created to be. He comes and breathes life on the inside of you, brings you back from the dead, and now you have the capacity to be the man, to be the woman God has called you to be. Without this power, all you have is belief and hope for heaven. But with this power, you have a divine capability to experience God, to practice the presence of God, to go in a room and actually meet with the God of the universe, to pray prayers that are not just bouncing off the walls theoretically, but are actually going up to your heavenly father because Jesus now lives on the inside of you. And we talk a lot about being in Christ, that we've been united with him forever. But what Paul is claiming is that Jesus wants to come and fill up your life. This is the completion of the gospel. If you want the whole version of the Bible in like a few statements, I would say very simply, just rewinding the clock back to the Old Testament and taking it to now, I would say this. The Bible begins with this statement. God is for you. God is for you. And this is good news for everybody in the room who's believed for a long time that God was somehow against them because of their behavior. 
God told Abraham, listen, I want to build a nation. I don't care if it was boring to my daughter. I love it. He said, I'm going to build a nation through you. I'm for you. God is for humanity. God has never been against humanity. God created us in his image, has redeemed us from the beginning. And the message of the Bible isn't that God is just watching us like a movie. No, he's for us. He is on our side. And more importantly, we're on his God is for you, but then you read more scripture and you go, that's not how the story ends. The story continues. God is with us. The promise to Moses was, I will be with you. And then when Jesus was born, they said that he will be called Emmanuel, which is the ultimate promise of the presence of God, that God is not just for you in heaven, that God came to live among us dwelled in the flesh on planet earth and we have hope forever if you need peace during this time there is peace in the promise of the presence of God God is very near God is so close and Jesus comes down from heaven to become one of us but Paul is saying that God was not finished yet things in the scriptures just tend to happen in threes you think it's over on two but there's a third piece God is for you God is with you, but here's what Paul is saying. God is in you. He is in you. When you invite the Holy Spirit into your heart, the life of Jesus fills you up, and you are now a participant in the body of Christ. And I want to give you this reminder today from the letter to Colossians because I believe what Paul was building up in The end of chapter one is a moment that we need to have together as a church. He's like, this is a mystery that was kept hidden. I can't wait to tell you this. I'm actually willing to rejoice in suffering because I need to get this out to you. Jesus is available to come and live on the inside of you. This is the greatest news in all the world. And I believe it is the only contagion powerful enough to outweigh the power of the coronavirus in our day. The spirit of God. You know, like many of you, I've been reading news stories and um, looking on social media nonstop every morning when I wake up. I just want to know the latest, and that's probably not the best practice to do right away in the morning. You need to go straight to the Word of God, but these days are so unique. And from the reading that I've done about COVID-19 is that this is a virus that specifically targets the respiratory system. And it's a little bit scary to look into some of these articles and look into why there's such a problem through this pandemic. It goes back to the idea that humanity is reliant on oxygen. And what this virus does is if it gets into your lungs and attacks, so many people are vulnerable to that. And so many people literally need a ventilator to continue to breathe and hospitals and healthcare systems just were not ready for the number of people that were going to need that. And you read the horror stories from places like Italy of them having to choose who gets the oxygen and who doesn't. It is literally sickening to think about what's happening right now. But I want you to know this. Throughout the scriptures, the spirit of God, when we read that word spirit, we think ghost because of how we grew up. It's actually not how the scriptures reveal them, specifically in the Old Testament. The word for spirit in the Bible is the word breath, the breath of God. You know, as you look more at what happens when somebody is infected by coronavirus, their oxygen levels get depleted so much so that their heart actually stops beating. 
And I was reading that and going, what's happening in our world is not just this invisible battle for health or this invisible battle for an economy to bounce back. What is happening in our world is a spiritual battle between the spirit of God and the spirit of darkness. And I want to speak into our church in this season that the Holy Spirit of God is the literal breath of God. And what if in 2020 there was a contagion, there was a virus that spread all over the world that overwhelmed COVID-19? And it's called the Holy Spirit of God, where the people of God were rising up all over the world and saying, I know who I am in Jesus. I'm not scared because I'm not made for this world. I'm made for eternity. I'll rejoice in getting the opportunity to suffer now because it'll get this message where it needs to be. Jesus wins this battle. And I'm just so tired of watching people get so crippled in fear and wonder, is the darkness really winning in our day? No, Jesus is taking ground and we get to be a part of that church. So say yes to the spirit of God and allow him to do in and through you what only he can do. Jesus has an endless supply of life and he has not left you out of the equation. The fact that you're hearing this message right now is evidence that God's hand is on your life, but also that God's breath is available to you. And here's the amazing news about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit not only empowers you to live a life that you couldn't live on your own, the Holy Spirit seals you and guarantees your place in the family of God forever. I don't know if you caught this when I read it earlier, but I want to point out something that's a little bit depressing when you see it, but it's actually amazing when you consider what Jesus has done. Go back to Colossians 1, 21. He says, But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. You are free from accusation in the sight of God. But watch this disclaimer. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. So it's like good news followed by responsibility. It's like you're presented holy and blameless in the sight of God if... You hold on to your hope. Now, when you read that, you'd be tempted to think, oh, me going to heaven depends on my ability to hold on to Jesus. But here's the good news. If Jesus lives on the inside of you, you no longer have any chance of ever letting go because it's him that's doing the holding. You'll never move from the hope that is held out in the gospel if Jesus lives on the inside of you because he is the one who is going to persevere through you. So here's what God has done. You have sinned and you have fallen short and you are destined to an eternity separated from him. He has paid the price for your sins by sacrificing Jesus on the cross. He has raised Jesus from the dead, defeated the grave and hell and sin forever. And he has planted Jesus on the inside of your soul, guaranteeing your home in heaven forever and ever and ever. And you're like, so what do I do? Say thank you. Suffer well. Watch the gospel spread. And we'll see you in heaven forever and ever and ever for a party. That's the story. And, and so much of what's happening in our day is sobering up Christians to go, oh, wow, we're not going to live here in this life forever? No. This has always been true. In fact, I, it's always been true that your life is as vulnerable today as it has ever been. 
Every time you've ever gotten into a car, every time you've ever woken up in the morning, it is a miracle. Every breath is a gift. And so church, I don't want you to spend the breaths that you have left afraid of a virus or an economic downturn or what might happen next. I want you to spend every breath you have left in your lungs advancing the gospel message of Jesus because the world needs it. That's why we're here. That's the church that we get to be. And so what I want to happen in this moment is that if you don't know Jesus, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray a simple prayer. You're going to get the chance to proclaim faith in him and invite the Holy Spirit of God into your life. But for those of you who do know Jesus, I want you to set your heart back on the reason why we're even here in this moment right now. And I want our church dispersed, scattered all over the world. We're scattered, but we're still gathered in this moment. And we're going to be gathered around this truth. Jesus lives on the inside of us. He will finish what he starts. And the breath that he has given us will never, ever, ever run out. He promises a new heart. He promises life to dry bones. Would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes? You can put your notes away in this moment. I want to have a moment to pray over people. And I want to have a moment to ask specifically Those of you who have never proclaimed faith in Jesus before, you might only be watching this gathering because of what's happening in our world right now. We want to say to you that you are right where you are supposed to be. This is your moment to say yes to faith in Christ. And so as you're sitting right there, heads bowed, eyes closed, I want you to say out loud, Jesus, I give you my life. Come and fill me with your Holy Spirit. Admit that you have no hope without him. And say, I believe in you. I commit my life to you. You'll never be the same. Now, if you're watching this and you want to be a part of that movement on planet earth right now where the spirit of God is going out and the kingdom of God is spreading against the kingdom of darkness. We are people of light. I want you to pray a prayer. Just telling God that you're okay with whatever outcome happens in your life from what's happening in our world right now. Tell him and mean it. You can tell him you're scared. He can handle that. He'll tell him, I'm, I'm down to suffer. I rejoice in it. Use me. Use me for a story bigger than myself. Father, we love you. We pray to you right now in Jesus' name that your church would rise up bolder than ever, that we would not look at the events happening all around us as coincidental or accidental. No, there's a purpose. And God, where there is suffering, it is impossible to endure without a purpose. And we believe the purpose is bigger. You're doing something. God, we don't wanna be on the sidelines of what you're doing. We wanna be on the front lines. Take us there, Lord. Spread your gospel, spread this message. God, I pray that Christ in you, the hope of glory, is not simply a truth written by the Apostle Paul that was in a verse written 2,000 years ago. I pray that it is our lifeline. That for you to be the hope of glory means the only hope that we have to participate in the reason why we exist is that Jesus would start and finish the work. So take us into glory. Come back for your church and find us faithful, God. I pray for those who just stepped into a relationship with you for the first time. Would you give them confidence? Would you give them a roadmap for growing in their faith? Would you help us be the church even in these days where we're spread out? God, we love you. 
We thank you for this time. And we lift up the name of Jesus now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.